Baseball.com and the DLF family of podcasts. It's me, it's me, it's that old SFD. And it's he, it's he, it's that the new Tommy B. I not not like you're new or anything new to the world, but new to the Superflex Super Show. New new co-host on the Superflex Super Show. And this is, by the way, the Superflex Super Show. And here we go. Season is on the horizon, Tommy. Those are your words, in fact. Uh, preseason is we've got one more week. We're not going to see really any fantasy relevant players, I don't think, in week three. Uh, training camp just broke after today, I believe. Uh, recording this on a Wednesday, like it, full speed ahead, man. And it's time for us, whatever, whatever the protocol is to start working towards, you know, getting into regular season mode here. Yeah. And I feel a new energy in my leagues and I'm guessing that we have maybe some new people tuning in possibly for the first time to the Superflex super show, or maybe it's been a while. Maybe you tuned out a bit for the off season to recharge the batteries. So welcome back. Uh, it's, it's time. It's time to get going. It's time to set the table for, what our plan is this season. Some of our rosters have lingered out there for a bit, and I'm ready to bring them into the space that I need to to compete this year. Or if I'm rebuilding, I'm ready to shed some of these pieces that honestly should have been gone a little while ago. So I think that's something that we need to talk about today uh, because the, the season is only a couple weeks away. We don't have much of a window left to true up our rosters, to move from off-season mode into week one it's here yeah exactly and so it's it's funny by the way like i totally forget that there are a lot of people who just kind of shut down and don't really think about fantasy football don't really think about dynasty football even you know through the off season and particularly in the summer months and like here i am feeling like man we've we've done like two episodes this summer basically like we're we're, ba- we're we're on track to do one a month, right? <laughs> <laughs> but there are so many people who just don't even know that. Like if I didn't just say it, they would have no idea. Um, but for those who did notice, uh, first of all, we apologize for uh, for our lack of consistency. Um, but part of this is not only to start preparing for the regular season. Um, You know, in terms of roster management, lineup setting, you know, things like that, getting all of that in order. Um, It's also kind of an opportunity for us to shift into regular season mode and also show that, you know, this is going to be a much more consistent podcast (laughs) going forward through the through the season. The goal is, man, a minimum of one episode a week so we can get you those standard operating procedures. And that's exactly what we're going to do. But I think we've got some SOPs right now that we can talk about, kind of to your point. Yeah, I think we have to. Uh, I'm curious to, we haven't talked about this before. I'm curious to hear what you've been up to over the past few weeks in terms of moves you're making, uh, what you're doing with your roster, whether you've noticed more activity in your leagues. 
Um, for me personally, I've noticed a ton more activity and I've found some interesting opportunities that just weren't there a month or two ago to move certain players and to bring certain profiles onto my rosters. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I haven't seen a ton of it yet in my leagues. So uh, you're going to be the one with the frame of reference as far as that goes. But man, I'll be honest with you. Like I'm, I think that I end up being a fairly casual dynasty player. Um, I'm a, a nonstop dynasty thinker, but in terms of like actually getting into my, you know, the various leagues and actually doing things, it, it, it doesn't happen nearly as often as, uh, you know, my, my thought process would kind of dictate. And so a big part of it for me right now is understanding it, you know, just going through and figuring out, like, I mean, you know, cutting down rosters and that one's, that one's a, a pretty big, pretty important thing with dynasty that I think a lot of people struggle with more than, uh, you know, I don't think that there's a, a appropriate representation for that particular action when it comes to dynasty analysis, you know, like that, that's a tough one for a lot of people, I think. Um, And it gets very overlooked, but that's a big part of it. Getting rosters cut down to, you know, whatever the settings are Um, figuring out when and how do waivers start and, you know, figuring out, you know, like at what point do you, are you willing to start spending, you know, fab, on on uh players I, I, at this point most of my leagues are fab i don't know about you but like most of them are fab but you know a lot of people are willing to just throw a ton of their fab at you know some players that they have a feeling about or who have had a good preseason or whatever they'll do it now they'll do it the season even starts and then you know, just kind of make it just kind of limp through the season. And that's not something I've ever been willing to do. So, you know, it, it it's a little bit of a, you know, kind of trying to determine who are the players who, who are actually worth spending something on right now. So like it's, it, it, it's kind of lower level stuff, but that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, to, to quote Taylor Swift, I'm the problem. It's me. I, I'm the person <laughs> who spends a lot of their fab in the off season. So yeah. I think, Hogue, you and I might have our first uh, gloves off <laughs> disagreement here. And I, I nice. can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, nice. I think that this is the perfect time to spend fab. I, I typically take on orphans and orphans, if your fab rolls over, typically have a ton of opportunity to fundamentally change the bottom third of their roster. At this point of the season, you nailed it. It's, it's cut down season. And a lot of people have been holding on to players and not trying to trade them to compress the bottom uh, of their lineups, excuse me, of their rosters. And they're in a really tough spot right now. And so they're going to drop potentially really good players. And my rosters are typically really mean and lean in the off season. I've spent all off season trying to consolidate downward into the lowest roster number that I can, usually picking up, you know, seconds and thirds or better backup running backs or moving wide receivers off my roster into 
the Irv Smiths of the world, the Noah Fants of the world in tight end premium leagues, trying to find these exploding opportunities at positions that can move the needle, especially tight end premium, and moving some of the inconsequential players off my roster just for this exact moment. Because my consideration is we're not even to week one yet. If I can get, uh, let's say, Rico Dowdell, who is apparently ascending to the RB2 position uh, over in Dallas, that is somebody I am willing to spend some fab on. And I've found a lot of people are ignoring those types of profiles. And so I, I love having the opportunity to blow 100 fab on Kareem Hunt if he gets dropped you know, 20% of my budget, let's say, because I'm imagining there's going to be a clarified start or two somewhere in his future. And I think other people are missing out on those opportunities. And it sounds like you might be. On, uh, I'm definitely missing out on Rico Dowdle. That one, because that one's just going to annoy the hell out of me, um, especially from Team Deuce Vaughn. But like, it just like that helps nobody. <laughs> Rico Dowdle <laughs> at any point becomes this, the lead back in Dallas, even for a minute. It's just like, uh, like battle lines are drawn between Malik Davis, Deuce Vaughn, and you know, there's still some Ronald Jones believers out there, but like Rico Dowdle, nobody is it not even the Dowdle family is on Rico Dowdle. So, um, Kareem Hunt, though, that's that's one that uh, that's one of the few that I think I would be willing to make a move for now. Um, and in fact, I got him in a lot of uh, dynasty startups this offseason, um, just kind of it, just kind of assuming that this is how it was going to look, you know, kind of assuming that he was probably headed for. You know, like he he wasn't going to be on a roster through camp, through the preseason, and people were going to just completely forget about him and just assume that he's the next one to just kind of fall off the face of the earth completely. I think that's actually Leonard Fournette, but like it, I you know, I kind of think that, and I think that we're probably on the same page as far as this goes. Most likely thing that happens is the first you know, running back to, uh, you know, major running back to suffer a major injury and Kareem Hunt all of a sudden is your starter, you know, and, and, and it doesn't even have to be an injury. I mean, at this point, the Indianapolis Colts looking to move on from Jonathan Taylor. And if that happens all of a sudden, you know, you've, you've got some good backs on that depth chart, but you don't have somebody who is, as complete and is as experienced as Kareem Hunt. And you're going to need that with a rookie quarterback. Two things here. One, I'm not going to let you off the hook yet on Rico. Don't <laughs> okay. be embarrassed to roster players that people will make fun of. I'm talking to you, super friends. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter if you get mocked for, for rostering these players, because if he does, if Rico Dowdell does, ascend to the RB2 spot in Dallas, that is valuable. And what is it costing you right now? It's yeah. not costing you anything but the mockery of the Superflex, uh, you know, community. I, I'm okay with that. I don't mind being different. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we're hunting for these profiles, right? So 
Kareem Hunt represents a profile. He's somebody who has produced in the past and whether or not he has a Frank Gore career arc, it doesn't matter. There's still opportunities for him to contribute in some way in your lineup at some point this season. And you just need to hunt those out almost maniacally. I don't care that it's Kareem Hunt. I don't care that it was Zeke two weeks ago. Just get some of these old guys who have done something in the past, if they can be found cheaply, and find a way to get them on the back of your roster, right? So yeah. can, I, can I do SOP number one for the season? Absolutely, yeah. Cool. So if you want to get these players on your team, here's what I do, and it's fairly foolproof. I look through the transaction history of my league mates over the last year, over the last several years, and I see how much they're willing to spend on these different types of profiles. And I just put in my blind bid $1 higher than the highest bid, assuming those are the, the people who are chasing after these types of players. It's really not that hard to go through transaction history, especially in MFL. It takes a minute and you can find all sorts of different edges just by bidding $1 more. Don't risk losing out on these profiles. I like, okay. So I like it. I, I, I was kind of thinking about this. Uh, you had something else that we were talking about in one of the last couple episodes and it was, it's, it's, you know, for very obvious reasons, I forgot just because it's been so long since we did this. Um, but, you know, I was kind of thinking about this. I, f- I feel like, uh, so I'm a, I'm a lazy person by nature. Um, and I think that there are probably a lot of people who, uh, uh, you know, a lot of dynasty players who probably are uh, inflicted by this same um, this, this same pattern, (laughs) this same lifestyle. And I think that we probably need to represent that a little bit. Um, like, I, you know, kind of the, like the high level answer to this is, you know, go through, look at transaction history, look at what everybody else does, you know, understand the behaviors of the rest of your league. Um, and I think that that's going to appeal to a lot of people. I think that there's a lot of people who are, who are craving that type of high level strategy that you're, that you're sharing. I think that we also need to find kind of an alternate route for Mm -hmm. those of us who, who are like, yeah, that sounds great, but I'm not going to probably not going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) So you know, kind of, I, I guess, you know, what would be the alternative? And, and maybe this is a rhetorical question. Maybe you have an answer. Maybe you don't. I mean, you kind of already have your process. Um, and my process is flawed in, as far as this goes. Um, but it, do we have an alternative that we can offer? Yeah. So it's totally league dependent and lineup setting dependent, right? So I wanted to mention this right off the top is you need to understand the rules of your league because every league is typically a little bit different and sometimes the rules change. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you are inflicted with a bit of uh, nonchalance about this process, I get that. (laughs) I get that. And we're going to help you throughout the entire year. We're going to say, you know, in most leagues spend you know, 20% of your fab budget on this player or spend, Put a $1 bid or a $0 bid in this player. 
but this is the critical time of the year. And so I would ask if you're committed to spending 25 or 50 or however much you spend on your buy-in, truly just give yourself 30 minutes. Um, you know, we, we can all find 30 minutes. Give yourself 30 minutes to just do a couple of these things. And I think you'll become a better dynasty manager. I think mm -hmm. that you will learn that you might like some of this stuff. So I, I would challenge you to give it a shot. But if you're not willing to, I think you typically have a decent feel after a year or two in a league. What would I do? What would I spend on Kareem Hunt? I would be willing to spend in a start 10 or less in a 12-team Superflex league around 15 to 20% of my budget. If, if you want just that type of uh, analysis, we can offer that as well. Mm -hmm. You might not get him and you might overspend. I don't know your league specifically, but that's what I imagine it will take to get that done. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, I, I, I kind of think that, you know, if you don't want to do the market research, which, you know, if, if, if you can bring yourself to do it, it's going to give you advantages all over this game. Um, but if you're, if you're not going to do it and if you just kind of say, I, I, like, I know me, I know how I operate and that's not going to happen, you know, you, you still kind of have an idea in your mind of, you know, what you want your roster to look for. And I think that you kind of find some profiles of players who fit, you know, the, the roster build that you're going for. Hmm. Um, so, you know, certainly we always say, you know, the names don't matter if the mix is right, you know, if the roster build is right. So um, there's a certain amount of that, but, you know, it kind of starts there. Like your wide receiver position, for instance, is it pretty set? Are you good in, a, you know, we want it consolidated, of course, but, you know, it, there are times where, you know, I, I don't know about you. I go so minimalist at wide receiver that sometimes the wide receiver room looks like absolute garbage. And it's like, if there's somebody who seems to be breaking out, if there's an Andy Isabella, for instance, on waivers and looks like he's going to be pretty involved in that Buffalo passing attack. And, you know, my wide receivers are not strong enough that Andy Isabella just never makes it into my lineup. <laughs> then all of a sudden that's a, that's a consideration, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then back to Kareem Hunt, you know, it's, it's kind of, what is your running back depth look like? And, and this is the big thing at running back that is just really hard to convey and really, really hard to get buy-in on this, but we're, we're not looking for immediate opportunity necessarily. I mean, you, you need some of that. You need some guys who are going to play in week one and are going to have a certain amount of volume. But what we're really kind of looking for, we're just like the baskets we should be looking for. It's not who's the running back one. It's look at, you know, the different points throughout the season and say, all right, so like, where does this running back fit? You know, and so the Rico Dowdle example, let's say, let's say, for instance, that it is Malik Davis or it is Deuce Vaughn, who's the running back too. So we're planning on Tony Pollard for the first however many games of the season. Let's call it, you know, three just for argument's sake. But it's it, and then at some point, somewhere around like week four, week five, you're going to lose Tony Pollard for some amount of time. Then, you know, next up is Malik Davis. 
Well, so the reason to have rostered Malik Davis was that week five to seven, you know, gap, whatever it is, he was going to be fantasy viable for you. And then he gets injured. And then, you know, maybe Tony Pollard's back. Maybe he's not. Now Rico Dowdle is up. You know, and and that's in a different kind of quadrant of the season, a different a different uh, you know point in the season. So there's just kind of this wave of running backs going through the entire season, and we're just trying to pick up pieces of each different wave. It's less about having just everybody's. It it, it honestly it it wouldn't do you a ton of good to have you know twelve RB ones on your team uh, not for fantasy purposes obviously for for fantasy purposes if you can get the top 12 running backs you're probably in in great shape but um in terms of you know starting nfl running backs you get 12 of them and you feel like your roster is set you're actually really unstable because what happens when those guys start getting hurt and their backups start moving in you know absolutely the the reason i love rostering backup running backs is there's almost like this curtain over all of them right now. And we can't really see what's going on in the preseason. We get these glimpses, Deuce Vaughn, he kind of looks awesome. And you're you're thinking, man, he's too small to play at this level. But then you see it in the preseason and you, you ask yourself the what ifs, right? There's this magical what if, but there's a curtain in front of this, this full reveal that we're looking for. And that's what week one is. You see the inactives and the inactives are the the magic elixir of this whole thing. If a player is inactive at the running back position, I know in most leagues, I can move on from them and I can find another active running back on another roster because we're just playing this brutal war of attrition, right? We know that starters get hurt all the time, especially at the running back position. So all I want is to play the odds that I'm going to pick the right guy who's going to be the RB2 for the upcoming week. I care about the RB3 in some backfields in, let's say, Chicago. We're not sure who the RB1 and who the RB3 is in that backfield. So I want some of all three of them. You know, I want to have Khalil Herbert. I love Roshan Johnson, but I don't have any... I don't have any certainty if I'm going to be starting Khalil Herbert in week two. I think Mm -hmm. I'm going to, but I'm not. So you have to almost play with a certain level of uncertainty. And that has to be okay. Like we don't know what's going to happen in week two, week four, week 16 at the running back position. But what you do know is the actions of these various teams. And they tell you what they think of these players by who they dress and who they don't at the running back position. And furthermore, they, after a few weeks, will let you know who's just a special teamer and who's getting carries, right? So all we need is access to volume at the running back position. One backfield I'm just super curious about is Indianapolis. They've got Zach Moss, who has a broken arm. They've got Evan Hull, who has some hype. He's a rookie who's apparently a pretty good pass catcher. He's got decent size um, in terms of you know his BMI. I'm interested in that. Last year, Deion Jackson, he looked legitimately pretty good. And so that's the type of backfield that I'm talking about. I want to have as many of those types of running backs on my team because in week two, there's a decent shot that I'm going to start one or two of the Zach Moss, Evan Hall types, that profile 
across my leagues. Once somebody gets hurt, that's somebody I'm just inserting into my lineup. So I know this is going to be just kind of another way of me asking about handcuffing running backs, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, in the case of Indianapolis, let's just say hypothetically, again, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Jonathan Taylor is currently still a Colt. That could change by the time you hear this, this episode. Let's say that that happened. Now you are looking at a group that consists of, you know, Zach Moss, Deion Jackson, um, Evan Hull. And, you know, there's a, there's the potential that Kareem Hunt lands there as well. Like mm -hmm. maybe somebody comes back in the trade, especially like if they were to trade Jonathan Taylor to the Miami Dolphins, I have a hard time believing that they're not going to give up one of those three guys who's just getting deleted anyways, you know? Yep. So I, four or five guys, in fact, considering their, their depth at their, at the position. But anyways, like, is there value to you? Is there value? Is it okay? Even like, forget about, is it valuable or not, but is it okay? Do you give us permission to, to capture that backfield? Um, knowing that it's complete disarray, it's complete uncertainty. We have no idea who the guy is going to be. Yeah. SOP number two, try to sell nice. this hype. Let's, let's put some actionability here. I sold, um, or I traded away Evan Hull and Deion Jackson two weeks ago for Jalen Warren. Now Jalen Warren popped in the last preseason game. I traded him for Khalil Herbert in one league and for a second and a third in another league. So it's these consolidation moves where you get this excitement around these players and you try to move in these very small ways upward on this ladder of potential utility. And sometimes you lose. Sometimes you sell Elijah Mitchell when a breakout is coming and you have a solid RB2 and you sold for a second round pick. Right. Sometimes you sell James Robinson for a third round pick and he's the RB 10 on the year. But you know what? I've sold so many running backs where in mass you make up for those value losses by all the players that we don't remember anymore who never hit. So that's something I love to do is I love to roster as many running backs because they also garner some excitement across leagues and you can potentially trade them. Right. I sold the Jalen Warren uh, share to the Najee Harris manager because they were a little bit concerned that there was another Zeke Tony Pollard or Melvin Gordon uh, Austin Eckler situation brewing and maybe that's true maybe I sold Jalen Warren for a second and a third and that was a huge mistake I'm willing to live with that yeah yeah I am too I you know to me and this is this is kind of the whole disagreement but you know to me Jalen Warren has more value to the roster that has Najee Harris. And so, you know, like there's, there's not, you know, just, just kind of, you know, translation here is you've got Jalen Warren, but you don't have Najee Harris. There's, there's not as much value to that because uh, you know, you're, you're less, you're less sure of if and when he's going to get on the field. You know, what I love about it is I've taken one roster spot that was allocated to the backup running back position mm -hmm. away from the collective pool. And so I have one more backup running back that I have access to potentially on the waiver wire. 
So I've created a better market for myself by selling Jalen Warren. Oh, I like that too. I hadn't even thought about that side of it, but yeah, I mean, you know, the whole, like the whole thing with the, the running back handcuffs too, is you don't have Najee Harris. You do have Jalen Warren. Najee Harris gets hurt in week one. Now you've got another starting running back with Jalen Warren. There's obviously some value in that. A lot of it though is trade value because you know, do you necessarily have a flex spot to to devote to Jalen Warren just because he got elevated to the top running back spot? Like maybe, but you know, enough times of that happening and it's getting to a point where like, okay, well, like all my running backs are healthy. All my running backs are currently starters and I don't have the ability to get them into my lineup right now. You know, that's, that's, it's a nice problem to have on paper, but what that tells me is, you know, you're, you're not set up for the next wave of running backs. If all of them are startable at the same time. Yeah. Scott Connor has a, a pretty fantastic process behind that um, where he liquidates his running backs whenever they pop like that. Um, he uses this term leverage uh, to define it. And I think that that's a fantastic philosophy. What it tells me, if you have a bunch of starting running backs and a bunch of backup running backs who have ascended is you're doing something right in your roster construction. And so what I would do if I were in that situation and the market was not robust to trade away a Jalen Warren, who has ascended into a starting role, I would look at my wide receiver position, my tight end position in a tight end premium league. And I would see what lower or middle tier players that I would have been starting, I could trade away. Mm-hmm. I've, I've found that having more than a two to one ratio of running backs to wide receivers is healthy. Having a three to one ratio is a little bit stressful, hectic throughout the season, but it is so productive from a trade standpoint and you're actually providing access to these starts to the running backs when they have a clear opportunity in front of them for 15 carries. If I have Christian Kirk on my team, I'm tempted to start him. If I move him off of my team, I don't know who I'm going to be starting in week three, but it's probably going to be a running back. Yeah, that's I, I like we can kind of just transition to the wide receiver position, I think, because. Uh, that brings up a whole lot of points there as well, which, it, you know, the, the like people people still have such a problem with the way I, I build my rosters. Like in those mock drafts that we do every month, the Superflex ADP mocks for DynastyLeagueFootball.com, uh, people see, first of all, the names at wide receiver, and they're like, wait, why would you take, you know, why would you prioritize Nick Chubb when – you know, Devonta Smith was still available. CD Lamb was still available. Like, I uh, and and, but not only that, but just the the lack of depth. You know, I'll finish typically with four wide receivers. You only have to start one wide receiver in the in that setting. So, like, we've got a set. So it's mostly flex spots. There's only one required wide receiver. So actually, four is kind of too many. <laughs> but I. You know, just to try and keep the ADP as clean as possible, I still go through with it. But people hate how few wide receivers I take. And the thing about it is, 
wide receivers kind of get to a point where like they're they're it it can be very negative ev to have a wide receiver on your roster and it can be a very good very startable wide receiver it's still that's still a problem for you like you've kind of stepped on a landmine by rostering that wide receiver because now you know he's on your bench you can't start him like you've got your starting wide receivers and there's no reason to ever pull those guys out as long as they're healthy and you can't drop him. He's too valuable. He's too good. Somebody's going to scoop him up and start him, but you're having a hard time trading him for fair value, you know? So like, he's just kind of taking up a roster spot at that point. It can mm-hmm. be a very good wide receiver. Who's just, you know, and, and you get it to a point where you're starting running backs. You've got Jalen Warren. Now that he's starting for the Steelers, you've got a flex spot with a wide receiver, you know, a high floor, low ceiling wide receiver there you take him out because Jalen Warren gives you a lot more upside and now all of a sudden you know you've got running backs at all those flex spots you've got the most upside weekly that you could possibly have and this wide receiver still didn't make it into your lineup and it's they're just kind of taking up room when you're like I need to prepare for the next wave of running backs yep you know I need to like I need to keep churning through running backs, but I've got this roster spot that's committed to somebody I can never use. And here's here's a tip for the newer super friends out there. A lot of times right now, people, when they submit their starting lineup, they think that is their starting lineup for the next several weeks. And that's just not the case. And so they're not building in these contingency plans at running back. This is a very narrow trade window that you have right now over the next two weeks to move some of these wide receivers. And I'm going to ask you, John, what is the approximate range, uh, you know, wide receiver 10, wide receiver 30, where you're trying to move some of these wide receivers off your roster? Because right now you have an opportunity to liquidate some of them or to move uh, the value of this wide receiver to a more premium position, whether that be quarterback in a super flex league, tight end in a tight end premium league, or even just to like find a a Nick Chubb type player and go out and win the damn championship. Right. Yeah. And I'm curious for your thoughts on this too, but to me, there's kind of a space in the middle, Mm -hmm. you know, like wide receiver 10 probably is a every week starter for me. Wide receiver 30 is, I mean, not coming anywhere near my lineup anytime soon, but also doesn't have any real trade value. Um, it's, it, you know, that's kind of the lotto ticket that I'm willing to hold and, and see what happens. But somewhere in between there is that, that purgatory, you know, the Chris Godwins and Mike Evans of the world just to pick on the Buccaneers for absolutely no reason. Like those are the guys who, you know, it's like they're not quite good enough to start if your wide receivers are strong enough. You're, you know, you're starting whatever two or three wide receivers are, are strong enough. But there's also, it's not like there's some kind of long term upside that's that makes them worth holding. You mm-hmm. know, they just kind of are what they are at this point. And, and to continue that for the newer super friends, how long do you typically hold wide receivers on your team? Are these long-term investments or are you churning that position year over year? 
I feel like I'm walking into something here. <laughs> Definitely need to get your thoughts on this before long too. But uh, I mean, it, typically I, I don't churn wide receivers a whole lot. I, f- I see quite a bit of value in just kind of a set it and forget it approach, not just week to week, but year to year. Like get some young guys. If I can upgrade them, you know, fairly cheaply. And we talked about this on the last episode, however many years ago, we talked about, you know, like upgrading without giving away, you know, the core of your running back and wider in uh, quarterback rooms. You know, you, you, you can still upgrade, just do it by packaging wide receivers, maybe throw in some draft capital if you want, but you know, leave like leave the running backs and quarterbacks out of it essentially you can do that but ultimately the goal is going to be to get the two best young starting wide receivers i can get and then just leave them there as long as i can essentially yeah what i'm trying to highlight is there's a lot of room for creativity uh for artistic expression almost in the wide receiver position because that tier beyond wide receiver 16 or so is so flat that you can navigate it almost however you want. I would not focus as much or stress as much about those wide receivers um, because it's such a fluid space to be. You can do something where you're churning the Mike Evans of the world year over year, Tyler Lockett's, um, Brandon Cook's, Amari Cooper's, and those costs I don't know, a second round pick or something in, in a lot of leagues, you can find that access to those players for that cost. Or you can do what John's talking about where you just, you know, you hit on a Devonta Smith and you just keep him for five years <laughs> and you're okay with the ups and downs of his value swings. And you're starting him every week because you've only got four of them. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of room that, you know, we, we feel so, somewhat confined by this position where we're trying to perfect it, where we're trying to get the next big thing. I don't know if we need to focus as much on it as as the industry maybe suggests. And so for the newer super friends out there, pick players you like in those tiers. Don't overspend to get them and keep them as long as you want to. There's going to be fluctuations at the position in terms of value, but the production is typically really flat if you're starting these players over the course of a season. Yeah. And Peter Howard always talks about, you know, once a wide receiver breaks out kind of wherever they land, uh, you know, within the the wide receiver hierarchy, they're really just kind of going to stay there, you know, like, and there's, there's like, I, I love to talk about how much I hate wide receivers because they're kind of boring. And like, this is kind of why, but I also, you know, it, it, like all jokes aside, there's so much value in that, the, mm-hmm. the predictability of it that, you know, this guy is, he's, he's, you know, he's probably, he ended up in a, you know, he was a wide receiver 16 and, you know, in his second year in his breakout season, he ended up being, he finishes wide receiver 16. It's like, there's a, there's a little bit more upside. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, there's, there could be some variance mostly based on injury, but you know, there's, there's a little bit of wiggle room there, but it's not going to be very dramatic typically. So as long as the guy's healthy, he's going to do essentially the same thing. At least that's my takeaway from what he, from his analysis on that. Um, 
uh, you know, he's, he's probably going to tell me why I'm wrong about that, but it might be that uh, he feels like there's, there's like, that's a, a reason to, uh, you know, to accumulate more wide receivers rather than <laughs> just set it and forget it. That. I think the poster children for this, I mean, just off the top of my head, are, are T. Higgins and DJ Moore. T. Higgins, mm -hmm. you know, there was a world before Jamar Chase, and he was the perceived wide receiver one there, and now he's the 1B. And he's just kind of doing T. Higgins things. And Jamar Chase is fantastic on the other side, and he's, you know, he kind of is what he always has been. And same with DJ Moore. We lament the lack of competent quarterback play, but he just kind of, he is, he always has kind of produced at a similar level year over year. And it's pretty likely that he's going to do a, the same thing next year and the year after, right? Like what yeah. is old is new. They settle into these tiers and and that's what they are. Like that, that's the point I'm trying to reinforce is we can, we can just enjoy DJ Moore as a player. If that's the guy that we like without having the heartburn of, is he, a top five wide receiver is he a top 10 wide receiver it doesn't matter it doesn't yeah. matter because his production is what it is yeah yeah i mean I, I i do feel like there's there's a little bit of value in chasing you know high-end upside mm -hmm. but like you know but but it's not that doesn't mean run out and trade for justin jefferson don't you know don't trade dj Moore plus however many first round picks it takes to get Justin Jefferson. Cause it's going it, to, it's going to be multiple first round picks. And that's kind of crazy, you know, same kind of same thing with Jamar chase, same thing with AJ Brown. I don't feel like that's a move worth making, but if there are guys who still, you know, they, they do have the upside to take that step. Like for me, CD lamb is a guy who, you know, he's really kind of settled in as like a mid-level wide receiver one. I feel like though there's wide receiver one overall upside there. Like I, I think that his range of outcomes still includes that type of ceiling. Mm -hmm. Like th there's value in chasing that, but yeah, in terms of just like, all right, so this guy is the wide receiver one in ADP, this is a wide receiver one in consensus rankings, whatever. That's the guy I need. There's not a whole lot of value. And like, there's, there's certainly not going to be enough of a return on that type of move. Yeah. Let's bring it back to actionability. So let's say you've got a pocket full of firsts and you've got DJ Moore. You're, you're saying, let's not go get Justin Jefferson. We're about to enter the first week of the season, just a couple weeks away. What are you doing if you've got, you know, a reasonably competitive team, you think you're going to be a playoff team? What are you doing with those firsts right now? Are you holding on to them? Are you earmarking them for something in season? What what are you intending to do with let's say three firsts in a couple of seconds? You know, you've got a surplus in the in the draft capital. Yeah. So this is going to be another one I think that we disagree on. Um and I understand your position on it. Uh, it's just for me, um, I, for me, I don't, maybe we actually, maybe we don't disagree that much on this. Well, so for me, it feels like currency that you can just kind of hang on to and spend when you need it, you know, that it's their lifelines. And so 
you know, you, you get off to a hot start, you start four and oh, five and oh, something like that. And then your top running back goes down. Well, now you've got a, a, the ability to go to one of the teams that started slow, who has a stud running back, just, you know, offer them a first and, you know, get, just stay right on track, just keep rolling. So that's kind of what I like to do. Um, and, and like I said, I, like, I, I think that we kind of disagree. I'm going to let you kind of lay out your position on this. Um, seems like we, I think that we use them kind of in the same way, just maybe in at different intervals. Yeah. So I'm going to be fully transparent. I don't play in like start 12, 14 team leagues. I don't play in these super, super deep leagues. I play in a lot of like start 10 type of leagues. Um, a lot of super flex, some one QB. I want flamethrowers on my team. Uh, if I have two firsts, three firsts, a couple of seconds, I want to get just the absolute howitzers of players onto my roster. Um, I want to find access to those as quickly as I can, because if I am a 4-0 team and my running back goes down, that should not be the reason, in my opinion, to spend a first to keep the train rolling in week four. I, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a long season. I don't know who I'm going to be starting at that point in any of my positions, and especially running back. Um, and so... What I want to do is give myself the best opportunity to start 4-0. And that's with some of these truly elite players, Kelsey, Andrews, Mahomes. You know, we can rattle off 16 or so people. If I have extra picks right now, I'm asking around. I want to know. You're shopping them right now, right? Yeah. I want to. People are so hesitant to commit to competing because they're afraid of injury. And I get that but you can't tell me that Jalen hurts couldn't give you three firsts if he tore his ACL tomorrow. I'm, I'm fine yeah. paying up to find access to these really elite players. Not, not the 40th best player. I'm talking about the, the true elites. And right now people are still in this phase where they don't think players are going to get hurt. And so they may be willing to deal if they've got three strong quarterbacks or two good tight ends or whatever, they may be willing to, give you access to these players right now and we're about to set lineups there's no better time than now to put to trade for mark andrews because in a couple weeks he's going to be your tight end one or two that's fantastic come week one yeah yeah so i'm going to defend your position on this um even though it's not something that that i can bring myself to do like it's just like a like the fiscal conservative in me comes out essentially when, <laughs> when we say I'm like, I'm, I'm not touching that money until I need it. You know, that's, it's kind of the same thing. Like, um, you know, it's, that's my nest egg. Those draft picks are my nest egg, but what I like about what you do. So first of all, this is something that, that a conversation you and I have had off air. Um, and you made a really, really good point about this, where if you trade that pick now, for whatever player it is uh, you know if if you were going to be able to uh, obtain that player for a future first in week five then you're probably able to do it now <laughs> like mm-hmm. he's got that same value but you get an extra five weeks with that player yep. i and i freaking love that part i love that uh the other part that i really like about it though is so we've all heard the trope 
you know, the, that draft picks only gain value. Here's the truth of the matter, folks. <laughs> We're just about to the point where those draft picks, some of them are going to start gaining significant value depending on how that team performs. And, but some of them are going to start losing value. Like some of them, some of them are worth, you know, every first round pick is worth the same right this moment. But what happens when you get to five and oh, everybody's looking at you as a likely, you know, a strong, strong contender, which means you're going to make your first round pick the very last one, most likely, certainly a late one. Like your pick all of a sudden loses quite a bit of value. And that player that you could have acquired in August, you know, for that first round pick, now he's not touchable for that same pick. You've got to give up one of your other picks from, you know, a team that could, you know, has the potential to finish last. And, you know, you had 101. And like that's the pick that's actually going to continue to gain value for a while. So, you know, it, 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 and the thing is that the potential is there for every one of these picks. So, yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing about draft picks only gain value. It's like it, there's there's a cutoff point to that. And that is basically week two. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and let's let's just talk about the draft picks we just made, right? So everyone had their rookie drafts, you know, May, June, July, and we all loved our draft picks. And then there's some some of these reveals, right? Some of these players are really popping off, but there are others that are sort of in the shadows still. And I think right now is a fantastic time to chase some of these profiles. Some of the players who are drafted in the first and second round if it's a running back in the third round still find a way to get some players that maybe don't have the same buzz as a Zay flowers right now who are still drafted highly. Uh, you know, JSN just broke his, I think he broke his wrist. There may be a little bit of a dip right now where you can move from Zay flowers to JSN with a small add on. And you're, you're just pushing yourself a little bit closer to these potential elite profiles. We still don't know enough about these rookies to really have any confidence. Don't feel overconfident in these moves, but chase the ones that are going to give you that positive EV while also, you know, giving you that quote unquote value bump because week six, it doesn't matter if JSN broke his hand, you know, like that's the point where you can really start to cash in on these rookies. Yep. Absolutely. Should we do we do we have anything actionable about quarterbacks? That is a really hard position right now yeah. to deal with. And I, I mean, maybe we should even uh, let's actually I, I think let's start with tight ends, because I feel like that's a pretty short conversation. Yep. Like, like, what do you do at tight end if you don't have Travis Kelsey? Uh, you mourn your losses, first yep. and foremost, because he has gotten better since, you know, over the last four or five years. It's amazing. He started out really quiet in his career. And then he just like burst and like slammed the door shut on everybody else at the tight end position, except Mark Andrews one year. And he's really owned this position from a warp standpoint. And if you 
are facing Travis Kelsey uh, on another contender this season, God bless you. What I would recommend you do first and foremost is you look at whoever is rostering Kelsey if it's not you, and you try to find their soft spots, their weak points in their roster, and you better find a strength against that, right? So let's say someone has Kelsey, but they aren't strong at quarterback. That's where I'm pushing all of my value because I want to beat them at a place where they're weak. So that's the first thing I do is I look at whoever has Kelsey if I don't, and I want to attack their weaknesses because they have such a huge advantage over the field. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm focusing on my tight end position, I want to push up to who I think can finish tight end one overall, which is a really small list, right? It's Mark Andrews, who he just has a fantastic profile and everything is suggesting they're going to pass more. Everything's suggesting he's going to remain the alpha target getter. It's, it's a really strong bet, but unfortunately if you don't have Mark Andrews, he's an even tougher get because he's younger and he may be the consensus tight end one in dynasty. I've found Kittle has a bit of slander going on right now on his name. And there are people pointing to efficiency metrics that he outproduced uh, what his intended efficiency was last year. I think that there is an opportunity to buy Kelsey pretty cheaply in some leagues. I think people are getting concerned uh, with his age. They say he's an old 30. I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, I'm not sure how we can predict that. Um, Kyle Pitts also is as cheaply priced as he has ever been um, from what I have seen in my leagues. And so I've rostered a ton of Kyle Pitts. I think that there are opportunities to get in. If you're willing to diamond hand it, you have to stay the course with Kyle Pitts. If you get him on your roster, there's a chance that we have a repeat of what happened last year in terms of his production, but people who have done what he did in his rookie year, getting a thousand yards, that just does not happen at the tight end position. And so I'm willing to make the long-term bet on Kyle Pitts. And you just, you eat the point difference against Travis Kelsey this year because there's nothing else you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Other than, you know, figure out how to make the move for Kelsey and, and man, he, he's going to be super expensive. And honestly, I think he's probably still a discount. like regardless of what he costs i think that's probably cheap just considering the difference that he makes at that position but yeah yeah you know some of the guys who have uh who have the upside to finish somewhere in the top three to five um but even then i feel i kind of feel like if you don't already have those guys it's low priority for Mm -hmm. me uh, I think that you have just as much upside, just, you know, zero floor. But, you know, when you get into the Chigs and the Friar Moves and the, uh, I don't know about Dulcich. I still think Dulcich is probably the guy in Denver. I don't, I don't buy the Troutman stuff. Um, you know, you get to those guys, even go down a little bit farther. I still love Jelani Woods, um, you know, like guys like that. It's like the the upside, they have just as much upside, mm-hmm. you know? It's just like the difference between those guys and Mark Andrews is the floor. Well, what do you think about Darren Waller? He's gotten a lot of hype this offseason since he was traded to the Giants. Yeah. And I think deservedly so. He's done things that 
are truly elite. Injuries have been an issue. And I mean, he is on a new team. Um, so we, we don't know what that offense will look like with him incorporated into it. Are, are you buying that hype? I'm not really, but I think I'm on an Island with that. Uh, I, I just, I've, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that Daniel Jones is an upgrade from what Darren, what Darren Waller has had. And that's a pretty big statement considering the amount of trash I've talked about Derek Carr on this very podcast. <laughs> I think that that guy's awful. I kind of think Daniel Jones is pretty awful too. He's good at running the ball. And, you know, that's a big part of why, why they extended him because, you know, they were winning games with defense and with a strong running game that included him. But man, this, this passing offense is just absolute garbage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if you want to say like there's very little competition for targets, they're not going to be high as high quality targets for Darren Waller just because of the lack of credible weapons anywhere else on the field. You know? Yeah. So to keep, to keep it actionable, I mean, what could the combination of Darren Waller and Daniel Jones in a package get you? at either the tight end position in a tight end premium or at the quarterback position in a super flex league? Would would it be smart to package both of them and say, Hey, I don't believe in Daniel Jones. And so by proxy, I don't believe in Darren Waller because those two are sort of married for the rest of Waller's career. Mm -hmm. What, what would you try to get for those two players? So I think you need a quarterback in return um, and I think that the goal would probably be to upgrade at quarterback. So maybe Tua, um, you know, maybe one of the rookie quarterbacks. Like, I don't, I don't know that it's enough to move up very far at quarterback, mm-hmm. but I think that you could probably upgrade quarterback just a little bit. Uh, and then, I mean, I would take a downgrade at, you know, at least a perceived downgrade at tight end. Cause I don't believe that it's going to be an actual downgrade. What about either Watson and Njoku or Prescott and Ferguson or Schoonmaker? I would gladly do it for the Watson side. Uh, Dak. I, I mean, I would do it, but. Uh, I, it's one of those things where I have a hard time giving this advice because I know that I'm, I'm also asking somebody to, you know, to step outside their comfort zone mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to downgrade, uh, at least on paper, that's a huge, huge downgrade at tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might not feel like a, a much of a difference at quarterback considering, Daniel Jones is younger, probably has a little bit more job security at the moment. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, is the better runner of the two. Um, at least he has been the last couple seasons. So uh, it's a move that I would make, but it w- it's a move that I have a really hard time saying this is the right move. It's 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 a hard one for people to make, I think. Yeah. Are there any other tight ends that pique your interest? A, a Fryermuth or Goddard, anyone else? Yeah, both of those guys. Um, uh, man, off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I Evan mean, Ingram? Evan, Evan Ingram. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I maybe Sam Laporta. I feel like his his value is getting up there a little too high at this point for a rookie tight end. Certainly not Dalton Kincaid. I think you have to give up way too much. So, um, man, I'm trying to think of the guys that I just routinely end up with uh, in those mock drafts. Um, and in startups, you know, Chigakonkwu has been a pretty big one for me all offseason. Jelani Woods is my home run swing. Um, yeah, guys, guys like that. Uh, but honestly, it's it it's it's not a a very exclusive club. <laughs> like <laughs> just about any tight end with a pulse probably has that upside you know yeah i think gerald we, everett has that upside yeah hunter henry is someone who intrigues me um i think he might have been injured today but we'll see the severity of that i, I think circling back to the beginning of this conversation about tight ends the position is so top heavy that if you don't have travis kelsey it's it's almost better to try to find your edges elsewhere yeah exactly yeah yeah and you know it's not like you're you're settling for something at that point, you know. If you don't have Kelsey, it's not like you're just resigning. It's not like you're waving a white flag. Yeah. You're just saying, yeah, like you're basically signing up to live the exact same life as everybody else who doesn't have Kelsey. Yeah, you're just, you know, you're you're just spending your draft capital somewhere else, and you're spending your fab somewhere else. Like you're just saying, all right, you've got T.J. Hawkinson, well. I've got Jelani Woods. I feel like we're in this same basic boat. <laughs> like either this works or it doesn't, you know? Yeah. On a one week showdown. Absolutely. I, I will say if you have an opponent who has Kelsey in your league, do not trade them these backup running backs that hit. If they get an injury trouble at wide receiver, don't help them. Do True. not give them a court. <laughs> like do not help. Do not keep them in the race because you want them to be in this no win position where they're not trading away Travis Kelsey, where they're somewhere in like the seven, eight, nine place in the standings. So they're, they're thinking there's a chance they're going to make the playoffs because you don't want them to trade Travis Kelsey to another competitor, but you do not want to see them in the playoffs if you can avoid it. So do not help them. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point too. Best offense is a good defense. So quarterbacks. Yeah. We've, we've held off long enough. And this, but it is a tough one as far mm -hmm. as like, you know, what do you do right now? And part of the problem is, you know, I, this, this has been a battle that I've had to fight for several years now, basically since the creation of quarterback extreme is kind of stressing the fact that you didn't draft those quarterbacks, however many quarterbacks you ended up with five plus Let's just say that you went the traditional five quarterback build. You didn't you didn't draft those guys to trade them. You know, and that's that's something that I I, I think that there might even be a little bit of buyer's remorse for some people mm -hmm. that they do a startup and they're like, all right, so now when do I start trading these guys away? I'm like, I mean, like if you get an offer, go for it, but otherwise don't. You know, the whole point was to give yourself lineup options. Uh, this isn't about, you know, 
like taking advantage of that value necessarily. Now, if you, if you can, if you're going to get full value, you know, if you've got, uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo or, or Derek Carr at the end of your bench and somebody's going to give you first round, you know, type value or the player equivalent of, you know, rookie first round value for that player, for that quarterback, then sure, go ahead. But that's not the goal. It's not because, you know, to be totally honest, to be completely transparent about this and completely frank about this, if you went quarterback extreme, you pissed off your entire league to a point where they're not going to trade with you. And they've all gotten together and decided that. So, yeah, like if the goal is to trade them, then don't do it that way because you're just going to you're going to absolutely murder your own market. And I think that we need to define two different things real quick, um, especially for the newer listeners, is this is not a QB horde. And so there's there's a different strategy um, that's been pretty popular on Twitter lately where you hoard all of the quarterbacks that you can, and you do that with the intent of trading these quarterbacks at some point down the line. You just pick out the the weakest manager in the league who finally buckles under the pressure of having one quarterback in a super flex um, where their quarterback gets hurt or they're on a bye week, whatever the situation is, and you just absolutely smash them to bits in the value game at that point. This yeah. is not this flywheel philosophy that you have, this QBX philosophy. This is not that, correct? Correct. In fact, I hate quarterback hoarding. I feel like it's <laughs> a horrible, horrible strategy because they're 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 trying to rost they're rostering backups, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're rostering Gardner Minshew and Case Keenum and Mitchell Trubisky, hoping that those guys get on the field so that they get a small value boost the amount of value that you give up while you're waiting for that guy to do anything is just not even worth it. And we're chasing something that we cannot possibly catch. Yep. It's the unreachable star because you get somewhere around 70 starting NFL quarterbacks every single season. Are you, you don't have a way to roster, <laughs> you, you know, take out the starting 32 you still got 48. You've got to personally roster 48 quarterbacks to keep them away from everybody else. Not only that, but what are you hoping to accomplish when Gardner Minshew gets his start? Like realistically in a healthy market, what can you trade Gardner Minshew for if he has two upcoming starts and then a bye week and Anthony Richardson's going to be back? You can yeah. get a backup running back or Michael Gallup, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Someone who probably just won't even start for you. They'll just take up just as much room on your bench as Gardner Minshew did. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's this lateral move that is really difficult to overcome. And you, yeah, like you said, you've pissed people off. So there, there are ways to hoard positions. Yeah. I'm about squeezing out the market when it's appropriate, but a QB hoard can be a challenge. And that's not what, what is being proposed on this show. Yeah, it's not worth it. In fact, this is why I always qualify it when I start talking about quarterback extreme. When I'm talking about drafting quarterbacks and when when I'm talking about rostering quarterbacks, I always say, when I say quarterback, I mean starting NFL quarterback. Yep. 
if it's a guy just standing on the sidelines holding a, a clipboard, I don't consider him a quarterback. And I'm sorry to him that that's, that, that that's offensive to say that that's not what he is. But for our purposes, we need guys who are actually on the field. Yep. And so, you know, just to kind of make things easy, yeah, when we're talking about quarterbacks, we're talking about the ones who are actually on the field throwing the football. Yep. So, yeah, like, and, and a, you know, a big reason for making that distinction is to make it very clear that, you know, we don't want the guys who are backups. Now, there are some backups. Gardner Minshew actually ends up being a little bit of a bad example of a, <laughs> because, first of all, he was very much in that quarterback competition, I think. Second, if they didn't end up with Anthony Richardson, they were absolutely going to start Gardner Minshew, and I think that that entire offense would have been better for it. And third, there, Anthony Richardson has a playing style that makes him very vulnerable uh, and susceptible to injury. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a lot of holding the ball. It's going to be a lot of taking off and running. And yeah, like Gardner Minshew is one of the safer backups. If you're going to make a bet on who are the guys who get into the game at some point, you know, so low level access. Let's talk through just a few of the backup quarterbacks. Um, that we may be willing to trade for and or roster on a, let's say a 30 man super flex dynasty league. Tyler Huntley comes to mind for me, as does Mike White. Tyler Huntley, he plays for the Ravens. Um, he's done pretty well when he's had those spot start moments um, to the point where I think he could have a pretty long career as a, as a bridge quarterback and probably could start like a Tyrod Taylor type player. Um, for stretches throughout his career. So he's somebody that I'm, I'm interested in acquiring, um, whether or not I have Lamar Jackson. And then Mike White, I mean, he's in Miami now, and he showed out pretty well when he was with the Jets. We're not entirely sure um, that Tua can get through a season. I hope he does, because it's an exciting offense when he's at the helm. But I think it would be nearly equally exciting with Mike White as well. And so those are those are two guys that immediately came to mind when, when you were talking about Gardner Minshew and I'd, I'd love to have them. I'd, I'd pay a, a third or a fourth round pick or one of these fringe wide receivers that I'm trying to get off my team uh, for those types of players. Yeah, those are, those are good ones. You know, just kind of like, we don't, we don't predict injuries. We don't chase injuries, but there would, there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, I kind of think that the quarterback who keeps getting injured is going to get injured again. <laughs> like that's, that's a, to me, that's, you know, pretty solid process. I'm even going a little bit closer to, uh, you know, the guys that I think are even a little bit closer to getting on the field um, that don't even need an injury. Uh, I think that there are a few guys who have an opportunity to step into a starting role I, you know, I, I could see as much as I think Brock Purdy is a very good NFL starter and perfect for the San Francisco 49ers offense. It's also very possible that they, number one, were tantalized by the, you know, Sam Darnold's rushing ability, Sam Darnold's willing to throw the ball down the field. He has an obviously much stronger arm than Brock Purdy and he's willing to use it like 
that's that's some pretty dangerous stuff. I would not be surprised if if the 49ers struggle at all, if Brock Purdy shows any effects of the elbow injury, whatever. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Sam Darnold get a start sooner rather than later. And, you know, just just on that speculation alone, that's the type of guy I would definitely be willing to roster. I think, you know, probably Taylor Hineke, um, just until I see, you know, a strong command by Desmond Ritter of that offense. Um, same thing with Jacoby Brissett. As much as I think Sam Howell is better for that offense, um, you know, overall, I I think that they probably would feel more comfortable with Jacoby Brissett if they're feeling like Sam Howell looks young and inexperienced and, you know, maybe the moment's a little too big for him. So, you know, some some guys like that, I think, are are good ones to hold. And then, you know, kind of look at some of the quarterbacks who don't have, you know, they've got some long-term job security or they've got short-term job security. They're good for this year. You know, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, kind of pick on those guys a little bit and say, man, there's a chance that they're gone next year. Yeah. And all of a sudden we're right back to Zach Wilson who now has had a year to learn behind Aaron Rodgers, And, you know, now maybe we're on to Stetson Bennett possibly um, in LA. I, that one feels a little unlikely, but it's certainly possible. Normally I would say Tennessee, but I don't know that you want to try and guess that one. I don't, I'm not nearly as convinced as most people that first of all, that Ryan Tannehill is coming out anytime soon. And second, that he's coming out for Will Levin and not Malik Willis so uh and then the one other that I am just absolutely convinced gets on the field at some point for so many reasons is Aiden O'Connell like there's just no first of all there's no reason to believe that Jimmy Garoppolo stays healthy all season he's never done it before second I mean he's he's not good enough to keep up with the offenses in the AFC West they're in for a they could be in for a really, really tough year. And at some point you just throw in the towel and take a look at your rookie. And third, I mean, there's just there's a very distinct possibility that Aiden O'Connell is just a better a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo, straight up. Yeah, I think you certainly could be right. This is where I have a shortcoming as a dynasty manager because I am unwilling to make that bet because base rates dictate that I shouldn't. And Hmm. I have found myself missing out at times, but also allocating my roster spots in more efficient ways because of that. And so it's sort of this known blind spot where I would love to root for an Aiden O'Connell because I think based on the preseason, he's fun to watch. I think it'd be a fun thing to root for. Um, And so this comes down to how you want to manage your dynasty team, right? Do you want to uh, work through base rates? What is your, what is your primary lens and how you want to construct your own dynasty roster? Um, And I I think that it goes back to Sam Howell as well. They've got a new owner, right? They're Mm -hmm. probably going to have a new coach. What happens when you have a new owner and a new coach, typically a new quarterback, right? Yep. I don't feel super confident that even if Howell plays pretty well, that he's their starting quarterback. 
I, I feel very uncertain about that situation, even if he does a good job. Yeah. Same with Stetson Bennett. I mean, that team has proven that they're willing to go to extremes, right? They are willing to go all in to try to win a Super Bowl. They're also willing to ship off their best players and try to get a quick restart. I'm not convinced that they want to do a long rebuild. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought in another vet next year. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. And yeah, like, uh, I mean, I don't know if if San Francisco would be, I at this point, I think San Francisco would be willing to trade within the division. Mm-hmm. But Trey Lance makes a lot of sense there. Sit yep. behind Matthew Stafford for a year and then take this thing uh, over. I heard a rumor today, um, and it seemed legit, that the Vikings had reached out um, earlier this offseason about a trade. And I think that would be just absolute magic if it works. You know, I think that would be possibly the most exciting offense in the NFL if it works. I'm not saying it's going to, but my eyes lit up when I saw that. Yeah, that would be a cool one. I'd rather see them trade for Jonathan Taylor, but that would be a, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like if they want somebody to run the football, (laughs) you could do worse than Trey Lance. (laughs) 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 Just got to take some more shots, I guess. I I really like Trey Lance. I I think that he's going to be excellent wherever he goes. But uh, he's just, he's on the one roster that makes no sense for him. He's at a point right now where I'm so impressed by his value insulation in the dynasty market. I saw trades today where, you know, you'd get a wide receiver 36 and a second round pick for Trey Lance. And this is like the cratering of his value. And so what it spoke to me was these young quarterbacks that have high pedigree, they're worth holding on to almost until the bitter end because the, the exit ramp is still pretty sweet. Like if Mm -hmm. you have someone who for years hasn't done anything where the team has not committed to them and you can still get, you know, a wide receiver three and a second round pick. Yes. That's not a bad outcome in a worst case scenario. Baker Mayfield is still getting chances. Geno Smith still got a chance like all those years later but yeah, yeah. it happens all it the makes time. you question like a jameer gibbs type pick in front of one of these quarterbacks this year i i think you might live to regret that one i yeah i i fully agree with that you know that so uh what about like some higher end quarterbacks like these are good kind of you know cheap speculation plays but you know going into the season if you're looking to kind of detail the roster and solidify a contender, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are the, what are the type of moves to make? I mean, like it's easy. It would be easy for us to say, Oh yeah. Trade for Pat Mahomes. You know, like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Do that. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But like, what about the guys who you're, who are some guys that you're potential because you're not getting a discount on Pat Mahomes. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, trade for him, sure, but you're going to pay up a ton. But there are some guys in my mind, and I'm curious about some names for you as well, who Mm -hmm. you can get them a lot cheaper now than 
what I think you're probably going to get in return from them when once the season is over, if you're so inclined. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, do try to trade for Mahomes. You never know until you try. Yeah. Um, but let's let's kick back to that uh, earlier conversation where we had DJ Moore and a couple of firsts and a couple of seconds. Let's use that type of capital. You know, we've got mm-hmm. these picks to potentially spend on on a quarterback. Um, there's a triumvirate that I, I just love um, in terms of dynasty rostership. Um, first and foremost, I want access to Deshaun Watson because nobody likes him because he's a terrible human. <laughs> um, not only that, but the camp reports aren't great right now because he's a terrible human. Uh, he's going <laughs> to report good things about him. He's a dirtbag. He's a good quarterback. Um, at least that's what previous production metrics would suggest. And I know he wasn't good last year. I know that. But every other pass he's thrown in the NFL, aside from last year, he was a good quarterback. And so there is incredible access if your moral compass can stomach having him on on your team. And some people just won't do that. And I get that. I'm not going to tell you you have to. But really good entry point into potential elite production. Um, the second one, Kyler Murray, you can find ways to patch together eight starts in your super flex spot if you need to, um, just to wait for him to come back, even a full year if you need to. The small man slander, the video games and all that stuff, most of it's narrative. When he is playing, he's fantastic. I know he fades at the end of the year, but a lot of players do. It's not a fair uh, representation to only put that on him. If you look at players, they break down toward the end of the year. Uh, I don't know if you saw the quarterback show, but Kirk Cousin, he was breaking down toward the end of the year. It happens to all of them. They're playing a super violent sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've seen him go for a first and a throw in this offseason. It might cost you even less once the season kicks off. You may be able to do you know, Kirk Cousins and a wide receiver too for, you know, for Kyler to get this deal done because people are going to look at their starting lineup now for the next couple of weeks. And they're going to say, oh crap, I got to put somebody there. And you can have the resiliency to withstand not having him in your lineup for a few weeks. The last one is Dak Prescott, um, who we've sort of danced around tonight. Everything I see is them committing to passing weapons um, and only having Tony Pollard in the running game. Um, Deuce Vaughn has shown some, some interesting flashes, but I am not willing to bet that this is going to be a ground and pound team, despite who they hired at OC. I think that there's an opportunity for Prescott to have a career year this year. Um, I think that his weapons are as good as they've almost ever been. I know when he signed his big contract, they had to ship Amari Cooper out, but they've rectified that. They've, they've brought in really good weapons. They have Brandon Cooks now. Michael Gallup is two years removed from his uh, ACL injury and CeeDee Lamb ascended. You you said 30 minutes ago that you think he could be the wide receiver one overall. Who's throwing him the ball? It's, it's Dak Prescott. I mean, mm-hmm. Dak Prescott's had injury history as well, but he doesn't need to run for 400 yards to be a top four QB. He can throw, I don't know, 5,000 yards and 38 touchdowns. That's within his range of outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, CD Lamb is one of the guys. Like I my my kind of overarching point to that question is just kind of like 
if you're if you're willing to go on a spending spree right now, who are some like must have guys? You know, mm-hmm. and to me, CD Lamb is is one of those guys at wide receiver. It's not typically a position that I'm going to target, but I think that he has so much upside for this one season that I think it's worth it to go make a move now and benefit from you know the the gain in value that you're going to get over the course of the season if he does what I think he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guys at running back, it's like you know guys like J.K. Dobbins uh nick chubb like these are these are guys to just like go hard after you know um and i still think saquon barkley is probably there as well um but then and at quarterback you know if if you just want to take a home run swing and you're willing to spend whatever it takes to go get you know what to try and assemble what you think is going to be the perfect lineup to me the perfect lineup is going to include trevor lawrence this year Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I, you know, I, I think that there are a number of guys who fit like within, uh, you know, who give you uh, a scoring advantage week to week. Um, and all three of the guys that you mentioned are, are great ones. And we've talked quite a bit about Kyler Murray and like the strategy behind that. Um, but yeah, for me, the, the one guy that I'm willing to just, to, you know, just, just say whatever it you know not whatever it takes but you know i'm i'm willing to uh you know to to spend heavy which is something i won't typically do this time of season but i'll do it for the guys who i think are going to be the sledgehammers and i think that trevor lawrence is one of them Here's my problem with Trevor Lawrence, and I'm saying this as a Jags fan. He's a fantastic player. Um, I, th- I think he's living up to the generational tag. When he was drafted uh, in your dynasty draft, likely 101, he struggled through a really tough year. And there are some people who held on through the tumult. There are other people who traded for Trevor Lawrence. And then they were proven right last year. He was something like QB six over the back half of the year. And that was with a messed up foot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the people who currently roster Trevor Lawrence are probably thrilled with the moves that they have made to acquire him, whether that be when he was a rookie or after that terrible rookie year, Um, it's born out to be a success. And so I think it's going to be more of a challenge today than it has ever been to pry Trevor Lawrence from the existing manager. And yeah. so if you are keen on Lawrence, I would be more inclined to recommend patience. Wait for some perceived dip. Wait for Calvin Ridley to be out for four weeks and he throws four interceptions because he is prone to do that at times. He's an aggressive thrower of the football. Wait for some some sort of a dip where we're unsure about the next several weeks or the next year of his production. Um, because right now we're all flying high. Those of us who roster him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to wait. (laughs) (laughs) I I, kind of think this is as much of a dip as you're going to get, you know, Uh, like out, you know, after the rookie season, there was a pretty significant dip, um, you know, at the start of year two, there was, probably a little bit more of a dip but now we're just on our way up and 
I think that we're just kind of headed for the apex and we're not quite there. And you're not going to get him at a discount. You're absolutely right about that. And in fact, it's probably going to take a little bit more than it should for somebody who hasn't finished, you know, as, as one of the elite quarterbacks uh, so far in his, in his career. Mm -hmm. But I just, uh, it's, it's one of those things that I'm willing to gamble on that he's about to do it. And once that happens, he's not going to be, you're not going to be able to acquire him at all, much less, you know, at, at a reasonable cost that you might be able to get him right now. So, but I, I don't know. That's, that's why they call it gambling. I guess. <laughs> Are you willing to go from the top down? Are you going to trade a Josh Allen uh, yeah. for Trevor Lawrence plus? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love that move actually. Like even more, um, you know, if you can, and there's, there's, there's a little bit of arbitrage that you can take, take advantage of in some cases, like Jalen hurts is like, according to consensus, according to the market, Jalen hurts to Trevor Lawrence would be a downgrade. So like you're getting you you give up Jalen hurts. You're getting more back on top of Trevor Lawrence where to me, Trevor Lawrence, it should be more valuable. Um, it's a more sustainable style of play. You know, it's, it's less dependent on, on running the football. And I love Jalen Hurts. I love that he's been proving people wrong on both, you know, the passing and the overall abilities. But I still think that Trevor Lawrence is the more polished overall player. And it's going to give him more upside, generally speaking. So mm-hmm. guys like that. The loop. I think that the arbitrage opportunity to gain access to a Mark Andrews type might be using Jalen Hurts and Dallas Goddard, providing a stack and moving, quote unquote, down into Trevor Lawrence and tearing up to Mark Andrews. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, if you can... If you can do that, if you've got that mix of players and mm-hmm. have that type of access, I think that's a great one. Um, I kind of think Justin Fields is a little too close in value right now to Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Um, I mean, I might as well just continue on this. Like, I like I I realize how I look right now <laughs> saying the names that I'm saying. So <laughs> let's just lean all the way into it and say. Lamar Jackson as well. <laughs> like <he's, laughs> all these, all these running quarterbacks, and I'm saying, yeah, trade them and uh, you know get get the more the better passer, the pocket passer, who can also he can he can run. He's just not mm-hmm. going to nearly as much as those guys. Um, he's going to be a pocket passer, and he's going to give you a much higher floor every single season, and he's generally going to have more upside as well so yeah I, like that's i mean i i guess i would say justin fields probably has more upside at the moment than trevor lawrence but how likely is he to hit that is part of the problem so again it's it's just kind of the the floor play i guess yeah. um but this is this is one of my islands you know the whole pocket passer versus rushing because you know we talk about the konami code they call them cheat codes and just drool over it and it's like it's always great for one season 
but get them to sustain that mm -hmm. ever. <laughs> and I know we're running, we're probably going to run a little bit long here, but I want to loop this into redraft just really briefly, um, specifically Superflex redraft. I am so much less likely to have a Trevor Lawrence and so much more likely to have a Daniel Jones in redraft because it is a one-year endeavor. Yeah. In Dynasty, of course you want Trevor Lawrence because he's going to very likely give you multiple years of runway to get out if things start to go bad. And we're not anticipating anything going bad. Where with Daniel Jones, I mean, this could be a train wreck this year. However, in redraft, the gap between the two over a one-year sample size is not great enough to, ju to justify the, the cost difference to me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, again, to me, Trevor Lawrence is just, you know, if you're, if you're speculating on what's the perfect lineup at the end of the season, I kind of mm -hmm. think Trevor Lawrence is part of that, especially in Superflex. Um, I think he's one of the top two quarterbacks for the season. That's, that's kind of the flag that I would plant, I guess. Um, but, you know, to your point, you know, like the Josh Allens of the world, as good as I think he is, uh, and I think that he's plenty safe. In a redraft league, I'm okay, you know, missing out on that and, you know, aiming for a little bit more upside a little bit later. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think that's a, a it's a good move. It just kind of comes down to how do you rank these players and, you know, kind of what's your, what's your tolerance for, you know, essentially how they, how they produce fantasy points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, how about we do one more um, since the season is coming up soon. What's one other thing that is sort of on your mind um, that you want to get done or a strategy that you're employing uh, to get you ready to the point where you're going to be setting lineups again. Um, flywheel. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, get that roster build, right? Like it's pretty easy to, you know, especially with rookie drafts, it's, it's pretty easy to end up with some extra wide receivers just cause it was like, all right, there's no one else to draft. So, all right, fine. Rashi rice, you know, like it, it's, there are a lot of ways to end up a little too pregnant at wide receiver. And, uh, you know, I think that you want to kind of cut that down. Um, I've mentioned before, I would rather have empty roster spots that I can use for a variety of things, um, a, a variety of functions, not just, you know, uh, like stashing long-term lotto tickets. Uh, I, I have a lot more, um, a lot more applications for that in season for that empty roster spot than that. And I would rather have that than a player who's unlikely to start for me. So, I mean, if you've got taxi squad, that's a great place for some rookie wide receivers. You're probably not touching them this year anyways. Um, you know, with a couple possible exceptions and now Jackson Smith and Ajigba has a broken wrist. So, or a broken bone in his wrist, whatever the difference is. I don't know. I don't have a degree on the wall. So, uh, but yeah, I, you know, th that was one of the guys that I felt like, yeah, you might end up actually starting him, uh, you know, consistently throughout the season. 
and now we're rehabbing an injury. So like you're not really left with anyone else that I feel great about. Uh, yeah, if you've got taxi squad, that's a great place for them. Otherwise find the wide receivers and find the tight ends that you can just drop out. Right. Like that's, that's kind of my, uh, that's how I detail the roster right now. Um, what about you? What, like, what else are you doing to kind of prepare? I know um, yours is a lot more cerebral than mine. <laughs> <laughs> you're just, you're like, you're, you're going all the way back to like our, uh, our eighth grade <laughs> <laughs> math tests to be like, all right, how did, how well does this guy understand statistics? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I'm looking at, I'm looking at warp. I'm looking at attrition rates within positions and I'm trying to build out the first four weeks of my season. And so I look at this almost from like two timelines intersecting at the middle of the season. And I want to find a way to sort of account for the variables that might happen throughout the first four weeks. That way, when I have, um, I think we brought up Devonta Smith earlier. If I have Devonta Smith as my wide receiver too, and he tears his ACL I know what my action plan is in the first quarter of the season. I know how to tear off of him because I've already worked through this. I've already committed to myself a certain degree of, um, of a commitment to winning. I, I understand what I am willing to do to keep that train moving forward. And sometimes if you reach a, you know, a certain injury attrition rate, you know, it's just not for you. Um, this season and you just have to punt to next year. Right. And so I try to build out these different contingency plans using just traditional injury rates at the various positions. And I try to find ways to uh, supplement my roster in meaningful ways. I'm, I'm looking at depth charts um, as they're released, the real depth charts, not the ones that were released in training camp. And I'm trying to find ways to give myself access to more running back starts. It's, it's a maniacal focus and it starts right now for me. I like that one. Um, it, like it, the other thing that I feel like you can kind of do it, like there's nothing wrong with starting to look at week one matchups. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think that there's a lot that can be done there. Um, and again, like it's going to feel a little bit over the top. Typically you draft your, your, you, you know, your, you draft your roster starting with your lineup. That's how most people draft. It's a really hard thing to uh, to step away from that. Dynasty players are certainly better at it than redraft players. But a lot of times in redraft especially, they're going to say, all right, well, I've got my two quarterbacks. I don't have a tight end yet. There's a good quarterback available, but I need to fill the tight end position first. And No, you don't. But mm-hmm. anyways, they draft that lineup and then set that lineup and then don't look at it again until week two. And what I would propose is start thinking now about matchups. It might not change anything for you, but start thinking about, you know, tinkering with that lineup now and kind of get used to it, get the feel for that, you know, make that part of your weekly process as well. So um, I think that now is a great time to be looking at waivers, looking for 
you know, small trades um, based on strength of schedule and above all else, start looking for, uh, you know, the, the lineup that's going to make the most sense when week one does get here. I love that. And if you're playing in a 12 team league, there is a very high likelihood that you have head to head matchups um, more than once with a few managers over the course of the season, try to weaken them because you have to play them twice. You know, the, with everyone else, you only have to see them once. And so you can look at things like bye weeks and avoid some of the worst of what they can do to you. But those few managers that you play again, spend, spend a few extra minutes trying to find a way to weaken their lineups. Yep. I like that one too. Um, the Los Angeles Rams have expressed interest in Colts running back Jonathan Taylor. Are you kidding? Like, can somebody tackle them? You don't have to keep doing this. You don't have to keep trading away your future for guys to help kind of help you right now. Like, yeah, but like that's, I, I assume it's Sean McVay. I don't remember who the general manager is in uh, for the need. There you, yeah, West, yeah. yeah, that's right. I wish he was in every one of my dynasty leagues. My process would be so much more clear right now. <laughs> <laughs> Trade him all my junk because he will give up whatever for it. So, oh, man. Uh, not that Jonathan Taylor's junk, he's just junk to the Rams. Like, there's no reason for them to make that move. Uh, what else? Did we miss anything or should we wrap this up? Uh, I just want to say I am thrilled that we're going to be doing this weekly. Um, and if you have any questions about the Superflex flywheel, I would imagine, John, that you've got a previous episode where you just hammer home the whole concept. You spend an hour really working through it because we've only touched on it today. And so maybe for our newer listeners, we could um, put the link to that episode um, so that they can reference it if they want to get a you know an extra 45 minutes of the Superflex dude. Yeah, that's a good idea. I also, I wrote a series of articles. Um, it's a, it was a couple years ago now uh, at dynastyleaguefootball.com. You can get there though from my link tree, uh, which is on my profile on X, um, Twitter, whatever. Uh, but there's a whole series called a Superflex Life and it gets into the flywheel quite a bit. Um, and it does, it's a little bit more concise than any podcast episode. The whole Goal was always to make the the podcast episode take an hour. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> there's there's some some bloviating and pontificating there. Uh, so yeah, a number of ways to uh, to get a refresher on that. So uh, let's let's wrap it up for the week, man. It, like it's hard to let this one go. It's been so long since our last episode that it's just like, man, I just want to keep going and just roll straight into next week basically but let's go ahead and wrap it up for the week so you can move on with your lives our super friends as we wrap this up for the week though we're going to ask you for a quick favor if you haven't already subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts subscribe to the dlf family of podcast mega feed once you're subscribed to the super show if you give us a rating and review just really helps us to involve more people in the conversation helps more people find us um, they send us their thoughts and their questions and all of a sudden we're really drilling down 
to the topics that are the most useful to all of you. You can follow him on X or whatever at FF Tommy B. That's where you'll find Tommy Blair. I'm there as well as Superflex Dude. I just hate it there. <laughs> so leave me alone. No, I'm just kidding. Like, you can feel free, but you're just not going to get a whole lot out of me for the most part. Uh, but always happy, uh, always happy to talk in DMs. I know Tommy is as well. Happy to retweet trade polls, respond to ads. Uh, the only thing I'm not going to do is respond to trolls when I tweet something. Um, and if you say LOL, there's not a chance that I'm responding to that. So just so everybody is, is very clear on that. Uh, yeah, totally joking. Um, what else? This episode was dedicated in loving memory to James the Brink, of course. Thank you to DLF for the platform. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the music. And above all else, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexy.